0: Who is Judy? You've already met Judy. What do you mean I've met Judy? Richard, this is Judy Swain from the Happy Helping Hands organization.
1: I'm little Nikki's case manager.
0: Charmed, I'm sure.
1: Shall we?
2: It's 8.28 p.m.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. My name is Ashley Brandt.
2: My name is Matthew Olson. And joining us this week yet again, I think four-time guest, Scott Benson. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Of the I'm So Sure podcast.
0: Yeah, this is Scott from the I'm So Sure podcast. And I'm super excited to talk to Matt and Ashley about this tremendous episode.
2: Not as good as part 14.
0: Oh,
2: I don't know, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it started off on a rocky note for me personally, but I mean.
1: We should talk about the fact that, Scott, when we were talking about you coming on for a final appearance in these last stretch of episodes... You had said that you were kind of in a lull uh, with your love for this series. And then when we talked after part 15 aired, after we'd already decided that this was going to be the the episode you were going to be on for you, it seemed to done a total 180. So why don't you kind of walk us through where you've been with the pod, with the show since we last talked and kind of what flipped your perspective?
0: Okay, so I've been with the show since the original run. I loved it all through that time, even during the James and Evelyn and all during the little Nikki and everything like that. I never I never questioned anything during the run of the original show. And I loved the beginning of the new series. And I remember the last part that I spoke to you about. We talked about part six, which was the episode where. Uh, Richard Horn ran over the child. And when I first watched that part, I did not like it. I was very turned off by it. But then I watched it again and I felt more positive about it. I have had highs and lows. Um, It went up. I loved part eight. I was enthralled by the building of the universe and by the atomic bomb and by the woodsman and by the frog bug. Then when it you know came back and ramped up i loved like specifically gordon and albert and tammy going to the vortex in um south dakota
2: rest in peace and, matthew lillard
0: <laughs> and matthew lillard of course when he got his head exploded so that was a high for me as well but then there were part parts of it as it went forward that i was less enthralled with and especially the reintroduction into twin peaks of Audrey Horn. And that caused great frustration on my part. And I think it's almost designed to, I think that that's like a tonic for everything that moves forward that pulls things back. So I think the combination of the way Audrey is utilized in the the return as well as Dougie Coop, which I have completely had enough of, um, I think it's like a litmus test to get you through this whole experience. But that being said, after the, the combination of last week, as soon as I saw that part last week with David Bowie, I was like, they cut out the part when he mentions Judy. Well, we were <laughs> rewarded with Judy-isms this part. I My mind exploded many times last night. I cried. I cried at the beginning out of extreme happiness and fulfillment. Hmm. Then I cried out of extreme hurt and emotional distress. So is hmm. that enough?
2: Speaking for myself, I'm glad you had a turnaround. Kind of confused why you said you were happy at the start of uh, of part 15. Because, um, I mean, this is... This is sad for me for many reasons because I fear with only three hours of the return left, this might be um this and really i don 't i don 't hold out hope for you know another season. I think this might be the last installment at the beginning of this week 's episode of Drape Runner corner and um it did uh it, it did not work out gosh, this has been for me what seven eight years in the making <laughs> longer for for hardcore Ed and Nadine fans, and yes. when I when I saw Nadine marching down that strip of road that Ashley and I have both walked down, uh, holding that golden shovel, I was I was hoping she was gonna she was gonna make things right between her and Ed. And I mean, I guess I guess Nadine did, but not the way I wanted, not the way my heart said was right. Um,
0: Matt, the only way she would make it right would be to hit him over the head and keep him comatose in her bedroom.
2: <laughs> I mean, if that would have kept them together, I don't know. I mean, it would have been ideal, but um, I don't, I don't know. Ash, Ashley, Scott, I mean, I guess, say your piece on this scene. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know where my head's at. Still, just thinking about it makes me feel queasy.
1: I mean i was reminded of our trip to north bend because we did in fact walk that exact path because we had heard that there were signs up for big ed's gas farm so we walked along that path because as our listeners will remember <laughs> we arrived at noon and then found out that they were only doing night shoots so had a lot of time to spare because it was august in the pacific northwest and the sun was not going down till like eight o'clock at night So, yeah, we, like, walked that strip of road. It was just as beautiful um, in that scene as it was when we visited. And I was, like, very nostalgic for summer Pacific Northwest weather. Um,
2: Much better than what we have out here on the East Coast. Oh, my God.
1: This is, honestly, if you're going to move to New York, don't do it in the summer. It's the horrible. And I'm not even talking about, like, the heat. It's also cloudy and sad. It feels like Portland in, like uh like november
2: <laughs> anyway yeah I, I i did i did get those pangs of the good memories of north bend and the wine bar and everything and uh i mean i i saw some people respond to this sequence i mean a lot of positive responses but some people thinking that you know regardless of what you think of the outcome and who ed should have ended up with i mean you know, well, i mean we all know the real answer um <laughs> that it was maybe it was for me for me um and for anybody with you know their head screwed on right um some people concerned that this was wrapped up a little too quickly or neatly but i mean as far as four or five parts ago i didn't even know if we were gonna have any kind of ed norma nadine plot line so to have one and have it come to an end at least is reassuring right
0: it is but i have a thought So the beginning of this part, doesn't that seem so out of step with everything else that's been building up with all the dark forces in Twin Peaks and specifically what happens in the rest of this particular part? And, And I've read things online and heard things on other podcasts about things being out of sequence and out of time and with time jumps and all that stuff. Now, I don't think specifically things are being shown to us on the whole out of order. But I think there is something to be said for the placement of this resolution with Ed and Nadine and with Norma, and then with the extreme lows that other specific characters that we'll talk about go through in this part.
2: Yeah. I've been thinking about the, the shuffling of scenes and arrangement. Uh, There's one line in particular that kind of set people off in terms of trying to work out the timeline this week. Um, and I, I, I'm still not convinced that they're doing anything that's that out of step. Like, maybe we're seeing, you know, plot lines in different parts of the country kind of, you know, maybe a day or so out of step mm-hmm. with each other. Um, but when it comes to how this was written and then how you imagine it must have been edited by Dwayne Dunham and everybody else in the editing room trying to, you know, carve out hour-long chunks that feel uh, significant. Yeah, it, it feels like arranging you know sensible tones with one another within these hour chunks so yeah you you start out with an extremely happy sequence and then later on this episode in the town of twin peaks we get something that's um sad on many levels uh i i i think that's maybe what they're going for more than i don't know saying like maybe this ed thing should have played out otherwise like three hours earlier and then they just delayed it to to mess with us i don't think they're doing that
0: yeah it seems like the logical progression of the return would be to sprinkle in some of these elements of the plot that are now showing up so late in the run and they're showing up an hour 14 15 16 I, i'm sure there's going to be new elements we're going to be seeing up until the hour before the show is over. And in a conventional narrative, they would have happened like maybe part 10, part eight, part 11. And we're seeing so many of these things kind of shoehorned into this part, but I think it's to bring continuity to, from one part to the other, because they're going to be putting them later in the, in the show that it makes narrative sense for them to do it at this time instead of sprinkle something really small like the first time we see james it was in part two showing up at the roadhouse with his friend who had the mysterious green glove and then we don't see them again another 10 parts or so yeah exactly so i i i I don't know how unless they did, did a lot of editing where they just would flip back and forth and show little things that I think that just for the way they constructed this show, that it just made sense to do it the way they're doing it.
2: Ashley, you put an interesting question in our notes document, which is, does this feel like the fourth season of arrest development? And I think I know what you're on to, but could you expand on what you mean by that exactly?
1: Yeah. I was just thinking this is probably as good a time as any to pose this question to the group. Uh, just because as I was watching last night, there's this sense of kind of viewer satisfaction or things are picking up pace. And I think that's been true of part 14 as well as part 15. And it seems like things are starting to come together um, in some surprising ways. And I just wonder if we are going to look back and if the beginning and midpoints of The Return are going to drag. Um, I know when I watched season four of Arrested Development, which everyone knows is the Netflix season, when um, the cast actually couldn't shoot together, so they had these isolated character episodes and people were um, kind of green-screened into scenes together. Um, Originally, when I watched it, I was like... I didn't hate it right away. I was just such a fan of the show that I was like happy to have something but looking back it's definitely um not a very strong season particularly in the beginning when it's dragging and it's setting up so much that doesn't pay off until 10 episodes later and i just wonder if we're gonna look back and kind of feel the same thing about the return and i don't think personally i'm not going to be able to figure that out until the return is already aired and i start watching it again
2: Yeah. One of the thornier things about that for me is like the, the fourth season of that show was, you know, preceded by a lot of talk about how they weren't able to, uh, get the cast together. And they like preemptively tried to cover their asses by getting everybody prepared for the idea that it was going to be structured differently and that we were going to mainly stick with a different character each episode. Um, which was i mean smart in terms of their initial reception because by selling it like it was a big idea that they came up with and it was a cool experiment they were trying i think they got people they got audiences on their side a little bit more but when you go back you know there's a lot of arrested development both the netflix season and the original three seasons that hasn't aged well at all but like
1: Oh, yeah. That's even, a whole other conversation. Even
2: episodes that don't quite work, you get the whole ensemble cast there, which is super important for that show. And with Twin Peaks, it's not as though, uh, you know, th- there were for, for most of the actors in this, um, there wasn't any question of them having other projects that would have gotten in the way. For some, there's that question like Laura Dern or Naomi Watts you could argue for some of the bigger names that come in and do smaller roles. That would have been a uh, a concern. But it wasn't like... Not only did they not get out ahead of it and be like, expect something that's not structured like the old Twin Peaks. Cause-
1: well, they did they did say it was going to be a, a 18-hour movie, but they didn't say that it was going to be an 18-hour movie where the third act was going to be really heavily weighted and pacey.
2: Yeah, I guess the 18-hour movie thing is maybe hedging a bit but it doesn't seem nearly so to my memory as of the lead up to the rest development like calculated in trying to set expectations but i mean i even parroted the 18 hour movie thing when we were talking about it dragging before but when i saw that question in the um in the notes document i was thinking like do i feel like this show was like the fourth season of rest development was written around availability and it's like no they purposefully you know, they for bringing back Twin Peaks, they could have basically for any of these people had carte blanche and bringing them onto the show and having them do whatever. Uh, and instead, they purposely, you know, threw our characters to three different corners of the United States and said, hey, we're just going to let this play out and we're going to have whole scenes of Kyle McLaughlin eating chocolate cake and we're going to hit that 18-hour mark. So it, it definitely for me feels at least more purposeful than the kind of slap hacked together construction of Arrested Development season four.
0: Can I just say, I think that what we're talking about here is completely constructed through the editing of the way we're seeing this project presented. I don't think that there were really particularly, not that I know, um, but any eliminate any limitations by certain people being available at specific times. I think that this is exactly, they shot everything that was written and everything that David Lynch and Mark Frost wanted. And I think what's been put together has been shuffled around into an order to fit into specific parts to be spread out over 18 hours. And after my last appearance on this show, was the part six, like I talked about before with the, um, running over of the child and and all that stuff. And that was where I started to feel that things were not necessarily placed in the order of a narrative. And they felt a little bit more, not arbitrary because that's unfair, but they were in service of making the story spread out to a specific amount of parts. So that's what I think we're feeling.
1: Yeah, I don't think that there are any artificial limitations on uh, the structure of the return. I think that the construction is probably deliberate, and I think it's probably a byproduct of trying to introduce so many disparate storylines that it kind of forces, storylines that are familiar or that have that emotional audience pay off like Norma and Ed into, you know, the final four episodes. Um, and I think even looking at the rising action and maybe even looking at the speed of cuts, which I should, I should do instead of just saying that I think this might be what's happening, but um, my guess would be that these final, you know, five or six episodes um, do have more explicitly going on. They're advancing the plot at a much faster rate, and they are um, maybe even, like, cutting faster. Um, Maybe maybe it is trying to fit 18 amorphous hours into, you know, 18 segmented hours that's causing this, but, uh, you know, I just wonder how it's gonna feel i guess in a binge watch scenario
2: i, I i've been thinking about the binge watch question myself because next week uh we get the penultimate installment uh of this season and then we get two episodes the week after and in the meantime an entire i mean albeit like mini season of game of thrones has aired we've sat with this for so long and there's more of the return than there is of season one there's there were what 22 episodes in in season yeah, two 22. yeah so almost as much as the the second season and really of the show. when you
0: think about 44 minutes on abc versus almost oh, 55 yeah. to 58 minutes we're probably almost on par with the amount of output from season two that's
2: wild to think about like they don't make tv like this anymore and it's no. and it's being presented to us in a way like i i think it was a major misstep for them to have put the first four hours up at once um in a, in a bid to get people to notice the show i think they should have just done one two three four and and let that be um this show is like anti-binge not just through the length but also through the pacing like I wonder if the question of of watching it all and trying to gauge the pacing you know outside of the week by week structure is even fair because there are definitely going to be episodes like I don't know like a part 6 or part 10 what have you that drag and then kind of kill your desire to right then and there go on to the next one and maybe that's okay like maybe that doesn't need to be the case. I'm, I'm kind of dreading dipping my toe into, um, the defenders, which just came out because I liked, um, one of those previous Marvel shows on Netflix. Um, and I felt, which
1: one did you like? There's only one correct answer to this question. Thank God.
2: Yeah, exactly. Those shows are designed to be bingeable and they kind of are, but they're also, they also are plagued by pacing problems. And it's like, here's a show where the pacing is definitely intentional And it's like they're saying, don't binge. Let it sit. Sit with Dougie and his cake for a bit and then revisit and you'll be rewarded with the sweetest boy in the world, Bobby Briggs.
1: While we're talking about pacing, though, can we talk about the timeline thing that has been brought up? Because I had the same questions.
2: About how many days this is taking place over?
1: Yeah, because apparently Jeffries did not call... Mr. C five days ago which was the first episode when he receives that call from someone pretending or you know presenting themselves as Philip Jeffries.
2: This is something where it's like the the editing and chopping up for, for you know pacing and tone's sake kind of might get in the way of this. But I think five days sounds about right. It doesn't strike me as odd. What strikes me as odd is the end of this sequence that is raising our question which is. The doppelganger sending the Las Vegas text and whether or not we're supposed to understand that as the text Diane received a few parts back or if it's like, I don't know, texting again.
0: I think that's the same text when she was first with them and then that text popped up on our phone that said Las Vegas question mark and she said that they haven't asked me yet.
2: Which would imply then that we could see a lot more time spent with the doppelganger and Richard before we we're kind of caught up with their storyline to where the FBI, uh, you know, Gordon, Albert, and Diane storyline is at, um, which could happen. We could just get like a father-son road trip uh, next they, episode,
0: Anakin and, and Luke kind of episode. Oh
2: uh, man, I guess it does. He does send it to an unknown, so we could find out that that text was to chantal and hutch's anonymous number just to see how they're following through with their hits in las vegas i don't know
0: and maybe all this is going through the answering service for philip jeffries which we'll get to shortly (laughs) but Uh, let me just one more thing about the timeline the part from last week when um Bobby showed up at the at the double R and sat with Ed and Nadine or Ed and Norma, sorry. Didn't mean to raise your, your draper under corner uh, uh, um excitement there. But he said they found something from his dad that day. And so there's this time discrepancy which is hard to shake. And I'm not sure if that happened the same day as with the shootout that Steven and um, Becky and Gerson, they were involved with um, and then having, getting the family meeting with the Briggs together. Uh, but then the next night, then Bobby shows up there and then, Uh, Shelly is not there because she's doing whatever she's doing so there's there is some weirdness going on here and maybe this is
2: just fanboyish uh, of me to to wave it away but it's just like it doesn't it doesn't concern me too much (laughs) until we see until we see something that actually like we can't like track
0: so but that was one thing that did weigh on me when it was like switching the times there and that was troublesome for me. And I'm willing to give this show a whole lot of latitude. But that was very strange for me. I just have to put that out there.
2: I, I think, you know, going back to the the license plate conundrum at the start of the season <laughs> and everything, like shows like Westworld have poisoned people's brains when they yeah. see the slightest like continuity error and then latch onto it or perceived continuity error when it's just like... Uh, I'm not trying to separate the show and say it's special by any means. And the show is certainly saying things about time in many different ways. Um, time, you know, people aging time, skipping the, you know, the, the shot of the convenience store, which we get again, time playing with the shutter speed of the camera and slowing footage down to, you know, show like evil or mysterious presences and so forth. Like, this show is doing things with time it's just i find it really hard to try and kick my theory brain into anything where for scenes being placed out of order where it has a real you know in fiction meaning um ashley do you think that do you agree or disagree with my assessment of modern tv watchers being too concerned with the minutia now instead of experiencing the flow let's say uh
1: yeah I, I mean even as someone who watches and enjoys like dan Harmon productions which are notoriously like complex in terms of callbacks and throwbacks and whatever um you know intertextuality uh, I just sometimes I just want to watch a a TV show. You know what I mean? And I also I don't actually think that there are multiple timelines or whatever happening in Twin Peaks. I just think that um, there are some interesting pacing choices being made. And I think that the one thing that kind of draws me to keeping track of the timeline is the fact that it seems like the storylines are going to converge. That's it.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely do after everything that happens this week, because we get some storylines like head-on collision converging this week, or at least one. Um, I think since we started with Drape Runner Corner and the union of Ed and Norma, please spare us a wedding scene. David and Mark, I can't bear it. it.
0: I want it. That's to to
2: teach their own, Scott. Um, (laughs) Let's stay in Twin Peaks and let's talk about um, two other lovers who are in... um, at a at a pivotal point in their arc. Um let's talk about a Hayward sister.
1: <laughs> Finally, some
2: substantive talk about a Hayward sister this season. My uh, girl
1: Alicia Witt is serving a dramatic performance in that scene.
2: I thought you were gonna say serving a look. Um but no. No, not I, there really was...
1: There was a look recently, I think, and I think we, we missed it. I have to think about it now. Oh, mm. I was going to say that Tammy in the episode before this was a look. I forgot.
2: I see. I see. Uh, yeah, we, we did. We did miss that with Joel. Um, so we have Gersten and Steven in a scene where I thought it was going to be like revealed to be right next to the 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 same clearing in the woods we saw last week, but <laughs> turned out not to go that direction. And the question that this immediately raised in mind for me, setting aside Sparkle and setting aside Steven's fate is, is Becky okay? Because they both seem pretty shaken up and they're talking about Becky sort of at a remove and we get that ominous shot of their trailer.
0: You guys, you guys, he's killed Becky.
2: I think he might've shot
0: Becky. (laughs) I think Becky is dead
1: jesus christ
0: i think so
2: which is a fucking bummer yeah i've only i've only seen this dude in two roles this role and his role in get out and i hate him in both
0: do you never saw x-men first class where he was
2: yes um, i did not see x-men first class actually he's really good in it who does
0: he I play in first class? He was, he
1: was like he was like a mumblecore kid in X Men First Class, and now <laughs> yeah. he's a, he's like a mumblecore junkie adult. I I think he's a good actor, and I like he that he, he does this in his performances because he does he does sleazebags really well.
2: Yeah, I mean he yeah very effective sleazebag. Um, I, I mean this scene is is hard to watch. I, I think both are I mean both are putting in a good performance, and then we get the amazing performance by Mark Frost and that dog um
1: such a cute dog
2: such a cute dog which kind of throws that scene off let's let's take a moment though to talk about sparkle because it definitely does seem like steven has he's not just shaken up but like he has dosed recently and is going through some things and gersten says something i think she says you're stoned which is both like seeming to get their story straight about becky but also like he might have actually had some some Bad drugs Ashley we talked about this earlier in the season And I don't know if we touched on it when you Uh guessed at Scott but Do we think we Actually know much more about like What Sparkle is at this point With three hours to go
1: I mean I I don't think so It seems like I don't know it seems Like some kind of Hybrid of meth and Psychedelics
0: I'll tell you what it is. It's a plot device. <laughs> there we go. I, I
2: think I'm in agreement maybe with you, most of all Scott. Um yeah, I we we have that scene where, you know, we assume that whatever Becky snorts in the car uh, right. is sparkle and she has her her euphoric moment. Um uh, I'm I'm I just wonder if if this is going to be a background noise thing through the whole season or if it is building to something cuz we also we need to check in with Red.
1: I would, like where is that man?
2: Yeah, I mean I was hoping he was going to get socked with a with a green fist and I guess he <laughs> could still but he didn't Possibly. this week. Um the man has seeming magic powers unless Richard was just really tripping and he's also broken up the Briggs home which I cannot forgive. So I want there to be a resolution to the sparkle thing, but it seems like the drug itself isn't actually, you know, much of a going concern, like plot or supernatural. I I think it
1: has a presence in the roadhouse scenes, which are kind of becoming more and more menacing.
2: They're certainly suggesting a lot more because they keep tying into whatever's up with Audrey.
0: That's a whole other, other thing.
2: Or is it a whole other thing? Could Audrey just be on a really bad sparkle trip?
0: I would like that better than a coma.
1: I think that's a possibility.
0: I think that everything with Sparkle is kind of just a metaphor for how dark and bad things are in Twin Peaks overall because it's affecting characters and lives that are not of people that take recreational drugs.
2: Um I will say we gotta we gotta we gotta have our Hayward moment though <laughs> uh in full gersten seems to be somewhat calm after whatever uh she and uh steven just went through and starts trying to get his story straight and i was just like you learned from the best you learned from donna you're just like <laughs> yeah, scheming can, and ruining can, lives she can,
0: she can cover up her murder like no one else
2: Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure at one point Donna took Gerson aside and was like, okay, so this one time James and I did this thing that resulted in Dr. Jacoby (laughs) getting attacked by a stranger and then having a heart attack. It was
0: wild. And then there was this shut-in that I, you know, (laughs) led to the death house house. (laughs) and I made Um, him have a panic attack and he killed himself. But I can't be implicated.
2: Donna's parents are Ben Horn and then oh gosh. Oh, Eileen. what is right, yes. Uh then again, Doc Hayward smashes Ben into the fireplace. So he's also he got some darkness in him. He does. I he mean, does. we
1: never we never hear Ben's side of the story, you know, in that situation. Was it a one night stand? Is Doc Hayward infertile? Sterile, we'll never know.
0: I have a feeling we will never see Ben Horn again. I think his resolution when he spoke to Frank Truman. And then talked about the bike that his father bought him. I think that's the end of Ben Horn's story in this return.
2: Oh, I, oh, I hope not because I need to have a, I need to have a scene between him and Jerry. I really do. I, really I also need to, have one need more to scene. know
1: why we were introduced to Beverly's husband.
0: Yeah, Tom. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. I have no theories on that. I'm saying sixty forty.
2: We're gonna get more Ben and and Beverly. Sixty forty in favor of, which still I isn't mean great the, odds. the
1: humming at the lodge. Like we no longer have James or Freddie to investigate it, so someone has to figure it out
2: at the Great Northern. You mean?
1: Yes, that is actually what I meant. <laughs> um,
0: did you? Did you guys think? Did you have a similarity in feeling to the um, European pilot ending with the um, rush resolution with uh, Bob down in the boiler room at the hospital being like the same place? as where James was at the great Northern.
2: I think I saw that, that like parallel mentioned somewhere online.
0: Um, it sure feels like it. And also there's that similar ringing sound in those scenes in the original, um, European pilot, as well as now that same sound, that high pitch ringing sound was also utilized in Cooper's dream in, um, part Mm -hmm. two. Yeah. So that's a carryover thematically
2: yeah or rather episode two to to
0: episode two yeah sorry episode Um, two the original series i i
2: I definitely think we have to find out what the humming is or at least have it lead to something um because james investigates it and it doesn't go anywhere and speaking of james to move right along
0: just you let's talk (laughs)
2: about no as much as i love that song um or hate that song it's time Aww. to talk about another song i love slash hate which is sharp dressed man by zz yeah. top
1: <laughs> i really so- thought that they were gonna actually have zz top and i was like holy shit what can't david lynch do
2: no instead they had david draw up <laughs> on a piece of paper a volume knob and then had a, i think his is his name jr star yes yes. yes. mc the MC at the Roadhouse, do an amazing little dance once the Roadhouse playlist kicked in with some good old ZZ Top. Here, Here's something I got to get out of the way right away. Um, Dean Hurley, who has been contributing uh, atmospheric background music. That
0: album is so good. It's, it's very good. Um,
2: it, they released a, a, a volume one of just like, whooshing noises and humming and electric scratching yeah um that everyone should go check out it's on it's on spotify under dean hurley Uh, he's also he was in um the band trouble as well he played the the drums in that band with riley lynch anyway music sound guy on the show he's been doing interviews on uh the seattle radio station kexp after every episode Talking about the music used in each episode and everyone should go listen to the one he recorded this week because he straight up admits like when David said, I want ZZ top sharp dressed man it took me a while to come around to the song. Like, he's like, I didn't get it at first. Like, I didn't know what David saw in fucking ZZ top. Like this isn't back to the future part three. Like this is, (laughs) this is twin peaks. How does this work? Um, but he put it in a, a term that I think does make sense, which is like, it's like, it's like taking the blues and then just covering it in a shitload of Chrome. Like that's what ZZ Top is, <laughs> and and you it, then it kind of like then it kind of like snapped into focus for me as like oh the Roadhouse which is owned by like the Renaults, would fucking love ZZ Top
1: oh yes
2: like they book uh, for real they they book Au revoir Simone to like keep the young kids happy but ZZ Top ZZ Top is like the house music at the Roadhouse when Julie Cruz isn't there.
0: But what about the possibility that popped in my mind that every act that the MC introduces is just a recording
2: It's 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 Club Silencia
0: Yeah I
2: mean, last week with Lissy, it was some pretty bad uh, lip syncing. So (laughs) he certainly looked like it. That's a
0: separate thing. I mean, I I had no idea who Lissy was. But then when I heard the song, I was like, this is awesome. They're fantastic. And they totally fit into the universe. But but having a um, recording represent every one of these people is an interesting thing to think about but i think i'm getting really meta now at this point.
2: Ashley, how did you feel about the ZC top?
1: I mean, it's no nine inch nails, i will say that.
0: Or it's, James Hurley. Or James it's no Hurley. No James
1: Hurley and this scene definitively proved that James is not cool. James does not Ugh. know how to talk to a woman, does not know especially not especially a to married shout woman across her husband to try to get her attention <laughs> He's and it's um, slower now. <laughs> I think Uh, James has always been about this socially skilled.
2: Uh, So, yeah, we got a much quicker payoff for the setup of the glove than I think I expected. I was thinking we were going to wait until the last two hours for that, but instead, James does some dumb shit, and as James' want to do, drags someone else into a mess he created. uh, And... (laughs) freddie throws a couple of very good punches i i did love this sequence because with each punch like the gunshot sound and the record skip was so and good the editing
0: the mm-hmm. editing was fantastic
2: it's maybe the best fight scene there's been in all of twin peaks yeah. i'd say
0: <laughs> for sure
2: which isn't saying much
1: yeah but i think the like the really key thing that's happening here is that we're filling up the cells in the jail so we have chad we have billy we have nato all pretty much where we left them and now we have uh james and we have freddie in the jail
0: i think this is definitely a moving players into their important parts type of setup for sure, warfare. yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that I saw online, and I cannot take credit for this, is a lot of people drew parallels between Freddy kind of following his destiny and the message of the giant, the idea that he has to protect someone, and the fact that NATO has been identified by Andy, who's also received a message from the giant that um, NATO needs to be protected.
2: And who better to do it than someone with a fist that can, with one punch... Give someone a seizure basically Right um,
1: Exactly I mean do you think that he is going to be in a position To protect her Against Chad Or Billy Do we think Richard is going to end up in a jail else. cell At some someone point else. I think I think it might be Richard I think it might be Richard or Mr. C Yeah
2: And I I just really want Freddie to punch that cell door off At some point <laughs> I want to see the full force of that fist.
1: Agree. But he's he's being led by James Hurley, so James is going to be like, "We have to submit ourselves to due process. We did a- <laughs>
2: <laughs> We did a bad thing." <laughs> I got my ass beat up.
1: <laughs> Victim's restitution.
0: <laughs> Can we jump now to what I have on my showtime on screen which is Las Vegas?
2: um we've been doing we've been doing place by place but i think maybe we should save the rest of this twin peaks arc for the rest the end of this yes. episode because it's all yeah, let's yeah do that heavy stuff so let's go to let's go to las vegas i guess
0: i'm talking about duncan todd specifically and roger
2: are you talking about a, <laughs> a particular freeze frame
0: <laughs> i have a freeze frame on my screen which is epic
2: rest in peace patrick Fischler, his head got yes. exploded in a particularly <laughs> comical way
0: that <laughs> was fantastic
2: when uh, when the doppelganger shot uh hastings wife uh forgive me i cannot remember uh her name phyllis. Off the top. phyllis yes thank you Uh, shot phyllis hastings in what was that part three part four three Um, and there was that strange kind of glitch effect overlaid uh with the gunshot people are like what does this mean what's the special significance and i think it's just for style's sake because you don't you don't make an effect like how patrick fishler's mr todd goes out without having it be totally intentional these days right (laughs) and I was again I watched this in a public place the same bar um as I did last week which by the way if you're wondering yes the bird call guy did return.
0: Um, <gasps> yes. Uh, yes.
2: He was more annoying this week. I'm not going back. Really um, question mark? Yeah. So that shot got the maybe the biggest audible reaction of the whole room that night because it just looks so fake and gory and like almost scanners esque.
0: you know what's really funny is i'm looking at it here and it was something that i've heard about on like a podcast from months ago talking about um duncan todd and they were like he never leaves his office does he stay in that space all the time does he have legs and i'm literally looking on a freeze frame of Chantal shooting roger and duncan todd's already got his head blown up in the background You can't see his legs.
2: We talked about after his first appearance, I think, Ashley, you're the first one to make the connection on this show about this scene and feeling like uh, Mulholland Drive, particularly um, Michael Anderson's character in Mulholland Drive. Yes, I was just thinking that. You know, just stuck in the one place and that's all we see him do. And you know what? Ashley, I liked our devised ending for mr todd a lot i liked it a whole lot and the way he died did kind of involve fast food um (laughs) chantal's hilarious call
0: about some wendy's
2: yeah extra ketchup please um but uh mr todd died as he lived sitting in his favorite chair
1: should we talk about the other thing happening in vegas this week or do we need to talk more about the the fast food scene because i loved it but I mean it's clearly just Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Lee having a lot of fun. Yeah, let's talk van. about
0: Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Lee. I mean they are hamming it up. It's great. <laughs> but they seem are they on the surface they're superfluous to Twin Peaks. But I think that what they bring to this is so much needed gravitas to the um Uh, like the the henchmen and the hired help and stuff like that. But they bring way more to it because of their backgrounds as actors. And I think that they really contribute a lot to making real menace and real threat to all of these threads that they're involved in.
2: While also being hilarious, I'm never going to get Tim Roth in his hutch voice saying, Fuck them in the ass out of my head ever. It's an all time great mind delivery in Twin yeah. Peaks.
1: Someone on Reddit this week posted the question, OK, is are those scenes like a Tarantino homage and phrase like that? It's just so obvious the yeah. like the choice of actors, the assassins, the fast food, the dialogue And I love it. It's like David's little take on Tarantino. And we can talk about the good and the bad in Tarantino uh, any day. But I think certainly Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Leigh are two of the better parts of Tarantino works. Oh, Oh, for
2: sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm glad we touched on them because it's a, it's a great thing just like the the mormon throwaway scene from the other week i would not have this show without it yeah and then we get some more kyle eating cake
1: let's like save dougie for a second because we also have to talk about the fact that the las vegas fbi has the wrong oh,
2: joneses God. Oh.
0: i almost forgot you're and so stan, right and <laughs> stan from Med- Mad Men. <gasps> love J R ferguson he's fantastic on this
1: forgot about
0: him.
2: I feel so bad about forgetting about these FBI agents because I did want to see more of this dysfunction in the Vegas FBI office. Oh, yeah.
0: That could be its own show, really. (laughs) I don't know who would watch it, but it could be its own show. Yeah. But
1: it's certainly another, you know, red herring indication that you know, the the plot lines aren't going to converge as neatly as we would want them to even this late in the series.
2: These guys are going to get, you know, seven different wrong Doug and Janie couples in uh, before they hit on the right one or if they even do. So,
0: Please no perfect. more Fuscos. No more Fuscos, please.
1: I would have watched uh, the whole series about the Fuscos, but I think we are not going to see the Fuscos anymore. <laughs> I, don't yeah, think I think
2: so. I think the Fuscos are done. I hope we see some more of the Mitchums and Mandy Candy and Sandy, though. Yes, I would like to get need, one last scene with them.
0: We need some candy. We need something to connect her with i think a greater bigger picture and i think that's gonna happen
2: and you know what i want dale cooper to thank philip bisbee the absolute saint for bringing him all those coffees yes
0: he's a good guy he's a good guy
2: he's a good guy and and um and the uh battling bud too but you know
0: he has really grown on me too as well
2: i jumped the gun are we ready to talk about Dougie. The Dougie scene. Yes. Well, it's pretty short and it's pretty sweet. And it ends with a It's bang. Chocolatey
0: sweet. Chocolatey sweet.
1: <laughs>
2: Do we think this is it?
1: <laughs> I think it might be because we've been teasing the importance of electricity for so long. It's Gordon Cole's name that gets Dougie to attention because, of course, it is because it's, you know, David's character. And the man sticks a goddamn fork in an electrical outlet. I certainly hope that if it doesn't connect him to the lodge, it fires some synapses and we just get this plot moving.
0: Have you guys seen Sunset Boulevard?
1: I actually have not. No. No. I had to look up what this movie was. It's
0: really good. It's a classic noir thriller that starts out with a man floating in a pool. He's dead. And he narrates the story of what happened in his past before he dies. And it's super noir-y, super um, 50s, and super Hollywood. It's very Hollywood-centric. So it's like touches obsessions that obviously connected to David Lynch. For him to name himself after a character that is in Sunset Boulevard. So I thought that Touch Uh, of actually i i recognize that footage right away Uh, and when they said gordon cole my mind blew up before um kama had a reaction on his face
2: i i I can't i can't let this slide but i think maybe the punching at the remote while chewing the cake was some of the best dougie acting um, oh yeah kyle has done so far it was i just loved watching the kind of the you know impulse of like There's a remote here. I've probably seen Janie hit the button on the remote, so I will also do it. Punch. Sunset Boulevard, like, invoking that, uh, which we know is a big influence for David and where the Gordon Cole name was drawn from. I I, I didn't know what movie it was, but I know that there's a couple different movies that Twin Peaks' names were drawn from, um, including Vertigo. Yeah, Uh, and Laura. We'll talk
0: about about Vertigo when we get to um, Philip Jeffries
2: exactly i'll say this is my major takeaway i think this means that we have cooper back in some form but i would not be shocked if we don't revisit him in the next episode <laughs> i would not be shocked if part 16 has no no cooper at all
1: oh i think, I think that's exactly what's going to happen yeah i
0: think we're going to go for one part and then he's going to be back they're going to be in the hospital or something like that after dougie has electrocuted himself in quotation marks and then when he's going to be back in
1: some way. And I think that's going to give Mr. C time to get to Las Vegas with his long lost son and maybe Gordon himself will actually be there at this point because maybe he'll realize the FBI is incompetent. You know, the Las Vegas FBI is incompetent.
2: I have an odd feeling that we're not going to get the FBI or the doppelganger in Vegas. What? I have a feeling that we're going to have them converge on twin peaks faster and have cooper trying to if i if i was a betting man i'd say cooper knows himself in vegas to get his ass over to twin peaks
1: i think okay i think if we don't get him in the next episode i think he wakes up in vegas and stays in vegas and everyone comes to him i think if we get him in the next episode the next episode is all cooper ducky and it's all about getting to twin peaks for the final two episodes Oh, if the next
2: if the next episode is just a road trip with Cooper and Janie, that'd be great. And Phil Bisbee, of course, because you I mean two people is course. not a road trip. And exactly. I guess sunny Jim has to come along too. Um You know what? Just put just put bushnell Mullins in the car too. Let's five people. You know what, actually? Large limousine. Mandy Can- no, it's it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's the Mitchums Coop have a limousine. And the
1: Mitchums and Mandy Candy Sandy. <laughs>
2: Oh my god! I would love to see the Mitchums and Mandy Candy Sandy like stroll into the Double R,
0: <laughs> just be like,
2: "We need some <gasps> grub." So <laughs> fun, yeah.
0: But what if, what if he dies? What if this kills him and then his consciousness somehow is back in the lodge with the, um, the one-armed man? And also good with a- that.
1: <laughs> then I feel, like, I feel like Mike would take care of him. Mike would yeah. make some shit happen. I don't because know. Whatever we, <laughs> moves the plot along.
0: We still have to see that scene that happened in the very first scene of the entire series where he is with the fireman, who we know now as a name, um, when he said, it is in our house now and then he says all the things um 253 and 2 mm-hmm. birds 1 stone and Richard and Linda we don't know who the f Linda is at this point still yeah. we've had one
2: mention of a Linda which was from uh the other fat trout resident um
0: yeah so
2: but- i'm i'm really wondering um I think that's, I don't know if we've addressed this on the show, Ashley, but like, I am a believer that that very first scene we see in the show is deliberately presented out of order and that it takes place later. Um, but I also wonder if we're even going to advance the plot to the point where we know where that meeting between Cooper and the fireman slots in. Maybe it'll be next episode. Maybe we will get right up until the point where we would see that exchange. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Um... I I mean, yeah, I think it's probably out of order. I don't know if we're going to see the lead up to it. I think that might be actually too easy considering the number of kind of red herrings that we've already been presented with.
2: Mm. We'll see. We'll see what the next episode has in store. If it's a Cooper road trip from Vegas to the northeastern corner of Washington, I'm I'm all for it. Of course, dirty, you know, dirty coup. Oh, oh, you want you want the you want the father son road trip? Yeah, Oof. absolutely. Mm, I'm not so sure.
1: I do think we should talk about what uh, the connection between this scene and the room above the convenience store, a.k.a. the yes. Dutchman's.
2: Because mm-hmm.
1: electricity is a key player, as we have been saying all along. Um, That's where it starts. Yeah, all, all the highway. Because Mr. C goes to the Dutchman's, which we know is actually the gas station that we saw in Part 8. Um, the woodsmen are there. They go up these stairs. They kind of disappear. Um, and then we are in the room ab- above the convenience store that we saw in Firewalk with me. Same wallpaper. At which point, Mr. C says he's looking for Philip Jeffries. So... Even though to get to Philip Jeffries, we end up in a different place. I think we can definitively say that the room above the convenience store and the Dutchman's are one and the same.
2: Yeah, I would say so. Then there's the rewind. We catch a glimpse of the jumping man from Firewalk With Me with Sarah's face overlaid. Yeah, in yeah. Some, brief some people flames.
1: are also saying they saw Leland's face. I didn't really see Leland's face, but I could I could believe it
2: yeah it's a little hard to tell with the streaming quality you know as good as it is from showtime it's kind of hard to stop and and get a real good look just like a a whole boatload of firewalk with me imagery by the time the doppelganger walks to the motel courtyard i think it has been positively identified as the same one that was used
0: um as the teresa uh, banks mm -hmm, teresa banks motel blue pine something motel yeah and, i, I uh, can't remember yeah <laughs>
2: ashley do you do you want to say uh who you think the woman who unlocks jeffrey's door looks like let's oh, talk about this sh-
1: she looks like annie clark noted <laughs> celesbian annie clark
2: yeah Saint Vincent. Um, saint vincent this person who looks like annie clark opens the door we enter this motel room everybody is on edge in in the uh, the bar i was watching at uh, but i think everybody's watching is on edge and thinking okay did they did they film something with david bowie we already know they had someone redub the lines last week and no occam's razor they did not film anything with david bowie and philip jeffries is represented by a machine that looks to share some similarities with the object we've seen both in the fireman's domain and on top of that box in space that nato flips the switch on um only with like a um well i'll just say it because everyone else says it a like teapot spigot on the side (laughs) emitting steam and this is philip jeffries now i I don't think it's literally him i think this is some kind of device maybe the real jeffries is communicating through i still wonder if this was a big setup on jeffries part for the doppelganger um part of a larger plot but I don't think we're going to see David Bowie and instead we get a scene that's almost entirely about Judy and who the fuck Judy is and who do we think she is.
0: And the best, the best, the best.
2: Yeah. You must have been freaking out.
0: Yes.
1: I would love to talk to someone who has not seen Firewalk with me and is watching <sighs> The Return and I want to know what the fuck they think is going on.
2: Right. I think anyone who stuck it out with the return to this point has watched Firewalk with me. I you think there are hope. people
1: out there who have not seen Firewalk with me who are watching the return, and I just want to hear from them. That's what I'm saying.
2: I mean, they do they do show us the clips, the relevant clips from those scenes. Like they, in fact, it <laughs> feels a little awkward in this one having the flashback inserted to the line about Judy, um, and it. I feel like I noticed the overdubbing and the dissimilarity between the new voice actor's voice and David Bowie's strained, strange American accent in firewalk with me much more. I felt like I was listening for it and I definitely heard like, this is not the same guy, uh, doing the voice here.
1: Well, and if you, if you look, um, at the firewalk with me scene, um, David Bowie's mouth keeps moving after the dialogue has ended. And that's, I think why they use the, um, transition that they do
2: maybe not as much of a shocking creative success as the evolution of the arm but um still some arresting very david lynch imagery going on here and on but seriously though who do the fuck do we think judy is who is judy what are our theories
1: okay some people think it's nato and i see literally no reason to believe it's nato it's apparently someone mr c and or cooper is already known because uh jeffries is kind of equating the two of them as one person
2: unless nato turns out to be someone we already know uh just in another form it's a possibility i guess
1: Uh, uh yeah i will accept that possibility
2: I saw an interesting theory, I take no credit, um, but that given the invocation of classic film this episode, that maybe we should be thinking about famous Judys and that when you think along that line, you get to Judy Garland and that given Garland Briggs's outsized importance to this season, it could be a reference to Briggs, like a code name or something, which... I could see. I I don't feel like I'm convinced by that line of reasoning, but it holds up to some scrutiny.
0: Remember when um Wyndham Earl got Garland and shot him up with Haloperidol and questioned him, then he got back. He got back to the police station. They were talking to him and they called him Garland and he goes, Garland, strange name. Judy Garland?
2: Does he really say that? He oh. says that.
0: So Let me talk about that That's one theory I have I have another theory too And it's one of the oldest theories In Twin Peaks lore Lay it on us I'll lay it on you So Laura Palmer Judy Laura Palmer Had a double on Twin Peaks It was her cousin Madeline In the movie Vertigo By Alfred Hitchcock There was a woman, that was a beautiful woman That Jimmy Stewart was protecting And fell in love with And she died And then shortly after He met a woman that looked just like her Except she had brown hair And her name was Judy I think That Laura Is Judy
2: I think I buy that one a lot more If only because Judy Garland is almost like a dumb joke and having the substantive Hitchcock vertigo reference is cooler. Um, and we still need to bring Laura into the story in a substantive way other than in a gold orb and a brief appearance in the red room.
0: So I'm not saying I swear to that, that that's like my end all be all theory. But when I was watching last night, all that could go all that went through my head was Vertigo, Laura, Judy, because it's not going to be Josie. I don't think it's going to be Nido. And the only outlying possibility is Garland Briggs and having the whole Judy and Judy Garland connection with Garland Briggs. But that's extremely fringe.
2: Yeah. Uh, Let's the three of us each name our most outlandish <laughs> guess as to who judy could be just to cover the bases oh. and, and and i will start I, I will say it has to be a character that has appeared on twin peaks before who could be judy so so but the most outlandish guess you can do and my guess is um h- hold on sorry I, I had it for a second <laughs>
1: don't set us up with a bit and then
2: <laughs> and then just drop the ball no okay i got <laughs> yeah. it i got it, got it. My guess is the child services worker played by Molly Shannon, who uh, is the <gasps> one telling about, um, about uh, Little Nikki to was Andy Judy, and... She Judy
0: Swain. Judy Swain. Is that actually her character's name? That's her character's name, Judy no, Swain. are you fucking happy kidding hands, me? From the Happy Stop. Hands Agency. I happy did not. Hands. Ha-
2: hand to God. <laughs> ha- happy Helping Hand to God. I completely swear. Please... Tell the listeners at home, Scott and Ashley, I'm I'm telling you both. I'm not making this up. I did not know that was her name on the show, and I was gonna say Little Nikki at first, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> didn't an SNL cast member pop up as she the did. as the person from the organization with it? Oh, did not know her name God. was Judy Swain. She's Judy. I mean, she's 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 Judy. She's I Judy. Just I, I didn't
0: I didn't look her up, but I I would. Always- Say ninety five percent. Her character's name is Judy Swain.
2: No, no, no. It's it's. it's I, I looked it up. I typed it in. Judy Swain okay. is the See? is the name of Look the character. I am. Wow, this is why
1: we have you back. <laughs>
2: yes, thank you. Um, Judy Swain. I, yes. I did not. I did not. Mean, I mean that to be a big joke, but the hey. bit
1: is over because you solved the mystery. <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's over. You got it.
2: <laughs> it would be kind of sick. I just. I mean, Molly Shannon did pop up on the latest Wet Hot. So you know. I She's doing this.
1: Um, Truly. So, d- did we cover the fact that Mr. C walks through what appears to be the um the parking lot for the motel in Firewalk with me? We didn't
2: touch on it much more than saying like it's the same location. Uh do you have any okay. other thoughts on that correspondence?
1: no i just didn't catch it at first um but i think it's interesting that it is if it is the same place it says decrep. i mean obviously it's not the same place because it has some kind of teapot with david bowie's voice in it but there's like dirt on the ground it's very spooky um and it's a place that we've previously connected with lodge-like activity
2: for sure
0: and walking through the picture that mrs tremana and her grandson gave to laura yes we will remember that
2: Leland saw uh or was sort of tailed by the uh the boy with the mask the Tremont boy in that parking lot yeah
1: spooky motel and um he
2: picks up a phone which Ashley I gotta shout this out for you when I heard the phone ring I was like when we cut to the shot of that phone in true David Lynch Mulholland Drive consistency style there is going to be a lamp just in frame with that phone and sure enough there was um and uh the doppelganger picks up the phone and then gets like warped uh right out to the phone booth outside of the uh the convenience store which made me feel like he should have expected it maybe but it felt almost like a punking like all right you're talking to me philip here's some coordinates go find judy you know who it is bye like I don't, I don't know if Philip is actually a neutral party and then it's another party pretending to be Philip to try and trick the doppelganger or what, but I it think felt it like is. an unceremonious booting from the Dutchman's realm.
0: I think that I mean, the, when, the voice uh, that Cooper talked to before, sorry to inter- interrupt you, Ashley. No, I, go for it. is not Philip Jeffries because the accent, if they were worried about hiring a voice actor to impersonate Bowie the voice that cooper talked to on the phone that said soon you'll be back in the lodge and i'll be back mm-hmm. with bob is absolutely not the same voice
2: i think the hot bet on that is that it's mike communicating to uh the doppelganger at that moment yeah right um
0: but oh, I, I, I could see
2: that i don't know i don't know why does mike want to be with bob again
0: I or mean, uh, John, John Justice Wheeler, possibly as revenge.
1: It's, that's what it is.
2: You know what? If you know what, if you ask um, Billy Zane to speak real low, it does sound like he's got his voice running through a really crappy distorter. So
0: soon, I'll be back in the lodge with Cooper, with Bob.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. can't. I can't shit talk Billy Zane too much. Some of our <laughs> listeners don't appreciate Some that. Some of our
1: listeners are fans. I love Billy we, Zane too. He's fine. I really want a quick talk about electricity, steam and the atom bomb because this is the ideal place to do it. Okay. Because, so we've been seeing electricity as this thread um, that's connected to the lodge, and we've also seen this um, atom bomb imagery associated with the creation of Bob. We kind of know that some form of the lodge predated the atom bomb. We know that much at this point. But what I kind of took from the atom bomb and what I've been kind of thinking about since part eight was this idea that the atom bomb is not... Natural That it's man-made and that there's this order to things and that the atom bomb, because of its destructive capabilities, because of its creation as this man-made force of destruction, um, kind of rips something apart that creates space for Bob, who's not a natural force of good or evil. That's the theory I'm working on. Um, And then I've been thinking about electricity and what does it mean um and i think the steam coming off of the teapot is interesting because steam is kind of another form of power that predates electricity um taking us back to the industrial revolution which makes me think about Man as a destructive force that is engulfing the planet and killing itself and killing nature um, and acting counter to its own interests, which takes me back to um, the story of uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, which is the tree that Adam and Eve eat the fruit from, um, which if you've read Ishmael by Daniel Quinn is supposed to be about Um, mankind kind of giving giving endowing himself as a species with this godlike power to decide what is right and what is wrong Um, and uh, the responsibility that comes with the knowledge that we as a society just kind of crumble under so that's a lot it's a lot, but, but I also think...
2: <laughs> I think it's that that that's all sound. I didn't make the association myself with with steam and it's it's ties and similarities or differences to electricity and the atom bomb. Um, but thinking about when we shift from just, I, I don't know, bizarre or um, uh, I don't know, off kilter lodge imagery to images that incorporate machinery like jeffrey's teapot form it, it brings me back to you know Eraserhead, head which is definitely a film that's influenced by david's time spent in, in philadelphia totally. around like all this industry that was you know choking the streets and polluting the air and the anxieties and, and corruption surrounding all that um it totally tracks uh
1: Well, it's also a a callback to the environmental themes that were introduced in the Ghostwood storyline. Let's
2: save Ghostwood, I was going to say. Where's Ghostwood? Audrey mentioned it. (laughs) It's like Ghostwood in here.
1: I don't don't think Ghostwood is going to come up, but I think that this is a theme that David is very interested in. Yeah. And I think that this is like the macrocosmic kind of reckoning of man's impact on the environment man's destructive force on itself and the way that man has elevated himself to this image of a of a god irresponsibly kind of and that's i think where bob comes in and why bob disrupts kind of the seeming natural order of things
0: and the creation of tulpas to maybe possibly take the blame for other people's other parties desires and place it onto a different party.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a kind of a, a mental barrier scapegoat to reckoning with that. Um, with that destruction. Yeah, Just,
1: yeah. The splitting of the, of the self under that kind of, uh, moral weight.
2: People are reading a lot into Philip, you know, identifying the doppelgangers, you know, like, Oh, so you are Cooper. Um, in this episode and uh, you know i'm still <laughs> operating on the i don't think strict good versus evil entirely division between the two coopers but um to acknowledge that the doppelganger is while a divided or, or a corrupted you know version of what we think of as dale cooper you know from the original show uh, is valid he's still he's also Cooper he looks like Cooper he he, you know has has smarts all these things like I, I wonder if in the last three hours are going to reckon more with you know Cooper the doppelganger being a father and if not how that works like what the impact of it is you know are we going to find out at all what it meant for Audrey Horn to have given birth to Richard and perhaps having thought it was the dale cooper the whole time because it doesn't matter that it's this doppelganger guy in essence if for 25 years you had no idea like
0: it is it is is him it is him but it's the polar opposite of his moral ground
1: yeah but i think that in terms of uh, kind of the return interrogating or problematizing or deconstructing our notion of identity. I think that when Jeffries is making that comment in that scene, he's kind of affirming, you have Cooper's memories. And I think that memory is to a huge extent, what informs our understanding of identity because uh, we are so focused on kind of a linear narrative and creating that for ourselves and kind of, uh, post constructing that post-factum over our memories to give ourselves this sense of an overarching story or cohesion. So I think that linking identity to memory in that moment, um, as literal as it is, is still really significant on, um, that kind of thematic level
2: it's potent because you know if if you can have the memories and then overlay a totally different set of morals you know all the rules of good society are thrown out the window
1: right and there's also like the matter of legal identity there's the matter of his fingerprints matching his social security like he has the legal markings of cooper
2: yeah if anything the only thing that says that this isn't a valid Dale Cooper is the fact that the ring finger is transposed. It's the most X Filesy. This is not the right person thing about the whole situation. Cause Cooper could have yeah. just snapped and started acting this way.
0: That's the thing that's the most troubling about the concept of doppelgangers, especially as we get this deep into the return is that you can kind of see how there would be elements of the real Cooper. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is the way I'm interpreting it, but maybe there are bad aspects to his real personality that are being blown up and being, you know, personified into this reality that the under normal circumstances that that would never happen with Dale Cooper. But because of this situation, they're coming to the forefront.
1: Right. And I think that there are two interesting takes on that one being the kind of more abstract thing that I was just arguing for, which is the idea of the doppelganger as this culmination of the God man, the kind of force that forces its will upon the world, which I think we've seen Mr. C do um, in a variety of instances because he has no real regard for others. Um but at the same time, then I think about the central story at the heart of Fire Walk with me and what I like about Twin Peaks and, you know, the portrayal of um, men who abuse women, which has been so central to our understanding of Bob, our understanding of doppelgangers we've seen so far, like Leland, as well as the story with Mr. C, which we know intersects with Audrey. Um And I wonder if there's also maybe an argument that that other self could be less on a cosmic scale and more about power structures within society, Um, which is something that I'm interested in, especially considering what happened to Becky in this episode. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whether her story is going to get a humanity that's similar to Laura's, especially considering the parallels that were drawn between her and Laura.
2: Yeah, I i really wonder with so little time left if there's going to be any revisiting i mean i I think there's a good chance there will of the of the palmer family dynamic uh because i think what you know put a lot of people off from their first watch of fire walk with me it's interesting i just watched um from the very first Twin Peaks Festival uh, in North Bend where they showed Firewalk with me. Yes. I have to wonder what that audience, you know, seeing the film for the very first time thought uh, coming right off of just the first two seasons of Twin Peaks. Like, the way that film implicates Leland in the abuse of Laura and goes a great length to not absolve him of responsibility. Um, and we think about the one the one person who he seemed to have all but confirmed as um a victim of abuse at the hands of cooper's doppelganger audrey horn and like they teased the relationship between cooper and audrey a a great deal in the show and it was only because cooper was a moral upstanding agent of the fbi who couldn't sleep with an 18 year old uh that cooper backed off but like He clearly shows signs of attraction and basically says as much to Audrey, like, Audrey, you're too young. Um, So for this doppelganger to spring forth from the lodge and then completely abandon those kind of principles, like, I wonder if they're going to draw as straight of a line as, I guess, I just did between the actions of the doppelganger and the good Cooper uh, and his emotions and intentions. Um, And I wonder if we're going to see that then also revisited with Leland who's had one very brief but memorable appearance in the new season
0: I think the lines are going to remain blurry um, as far as Leland I have a theory to how the show is going to end but we can you want to save that till the end of this episode okay. I think
2: I think we have to now I think you've just set up what's going to yeah. keep people listening till the end of this episode All right. okay um, should should we talk about richard briefly and then move on yes richard is a dummy for having looked over when the doppelganger spits what a dumb idiot he is of course of course he's gonna then take advantage of that and punch your lights out come on kid
1: do you think he was like i found my dad do you think that he was like i'm gonna have a father-son moment with someone who mm. I just saw murder a man, two men in cold blood.
2: I don't think so. I don't think he knows. I think he thinks that Cooper is looking for him as an agent of the FBI. But that's or, my two cents. Or
0: worried about the connection to what he said that his mother, Audrey Horn, big giant ringing bells, um, that she had pictures of him and apparently held him in high regard. So... I you, think that's, that's what I'm thinking. That's gonna lay to rest the coma theory.
2: Oh yeah, because if Audrey kept <sighs> yeah, pictures, I then guess.
0: right,
1: yeah.
2: why would Audrey right. be in a coma this whole time? Mm. Right. Hmm. Astute mm-hmm. okay. observation, Scott. Thank you. Take that, coma truthers.
0: Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's a coma. I really don't. I did the first two weeks, but then after this part, I don't think so
1: can we talk about what we think is going on with audrey because i have very little idea let's, let's do All these right. things
2: slightly out of order i think okay. we should talk about audrey and maybe even the roadhouse scene before we talk about the rest of what happens at the sheriff's department this episode so okay. let's yes. talk about audrey and charlie because yeah. almost nothing happens and then we're, we have our attention drawn to the fact that nothing is happening what is going on audrey at least taking some action but not leaving the house
1: Right. And a lot of people, um, I think, on the Twin Peaks Reddit have also been talking about the fact that the dynamic between Charlie and Audrey seems to be kind of a textbook case of gaslighting with the way that uh, Charlie kind of taunts Audrey or kind of belittles her. But there's something there's kind of a turn in this portrayal of their relationship i i still think that interpretation definitely stands but it's complicated by the fact that they're standing at the door and audrey won't put on her coat
2: yeah audrey's like audrey's the stubborn one in this instance it's not as though i was then going like i'm sympathizing with charlie but i'm like okay so they are then this this slow pacing and this disorienting you know framing of these things is completely deliberate because we're supposed to have this shift over to wait a minute why now isn't audrey leaving what like not like is she in a coma is she trapped here but like more in on just audrey's point of view and and desires and wants as a character what is up
0: Remember the two ladies last week when one of them talked about her mother Tina and Billy, etc. Mm-hmm. And the um other friend that asked her who her mother's name was, um, who is actually David Lynch's wife, um, said, um, are you getting high in that nut house? Stay out of the nut house. I think the nut house reference is referring to some sort of care that Audrey is under, that she's in
2: Oh. Is therapy
0: or she's being institutionalized and mm. we're seeing little bits and pieces of her and her therapy and i think that charlie is her therapist
2: so, so you're a <gasps> subscriber to the therapist theory yes but th- i think the nuthouse comment li- lends some more credence to that i have exactly. made that connection after yeah
0: after the nuthouse comments and then after the connection with billy and tina it makes me think that and then Chuck even, and then we see Renee's husband, Chuck. I think it's connected that way.
1: It could also be like a halfway house, maybe for people who are like detoxing from Sparkle right. to connect it a little more to the Roadhouse scenes. But I'm not totally convinced because there's such a an otherworldly strangeness about the construction of these scenes, which I suppose is could be partially explained by... The therapist patient relationship and the confines of, uh, you know, involuntary psychiatric care, but uh, it, just the 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 dialogue in this scene. Hold on, I have uh, some lines from my notes that I wrote down because I was I was thinking again about identity and this idea that Audrey is having this existential crisis. She doesn't know what she, who she is necessarily, or she's not in touch with herself and she says um, I never really saw you like this before it's like I'm meeting a different person who are you Charlie? How can you be like this? Really kind of interrogating the idea of a personal identity and maybe the versions of personal identity that we create that are kind of contingent on the relationships that we have with people or how we want them to be or how we kind of re- create them in our memory Um, I don't know. That's just been so potent throughout these scenes. And it certainly could be explained by some kind of psychiatric break or sparkle or whatever it is. But, you know, regardless, there's there's a strangeness going on there. And I think uh, someone on the reddit again. This was my first week on the reddit, so I was like going going through and going looking detailed. at a lot of stuff. Yeah, I was. I don't usually read the recaps, but I had some extra time. I you know, I read AV Club, we know that. But I try not to read too many other opinions cuz I don't want to be stealing people's ideas, but here I am. There someone put together a screen cap of Richard kind of throttling um, his grandmother and Audrey throttling Charlie. And the scenes are framed in the exact same way, Um, which is really interesting. Maybe this idea that there's this kind of rage that um, Richard gets from Audrey and not from Mr. C.
2: Mm. Mm. I have no idea where... I don't either. I don't either. (laughs) I... Pose this question to both of you: Do you think we're going to get more Audrey next episode or now?
1: Yes.
0: I, I don't know. I think that may be held off till the final two hours, but I could be wrong. I don't think she's. I don't I, think, I, she's, I don't think she's
1: going to leave that house. No, ever.
0: I don't think so either.
2: Which is just when you. Th- I mean, to go back to the discussion we had about the arrest development season four, what we know about the behind the scenes cast things and so forth of any of the returning cast members, uh, for season three for the return, we know some of the drama that occurred between Sherilyn Fenn and the production. Then to have Audrey appear at like the 11th hour and have this bizarre cordoned off storyline really makes you wonder what that says about the character and how the you know show was conceived with Audrey in it, um, what her role is ultimately going to be and was intended to be from the earliest conception of this season.
1: It would also make sense as to why if Sherilyn still had admin access for that Facebook page, yeah. she might change it to we want the season four. Of Twin yeah, Peaks.
2: she wants a big role in a new season. I don't know. I don't know.
0: But also think about how realistically setting up, well, realistically is in extreme quotation marks from Lynch Frost crafting the story for this entire series and the reality of bringing someone back who had been so close to an explosion, to a bomb going off, and how many, what you can do with that character. So I think that this falls in line with how you would deal in the most loosely realistic terms and having this type of trauma or whatever is going on with Audrey happening and not have her just be, Oh yeah, I was at a bank one time and it blew up, but now I'm okay. And now I'm doing other things. I'll also
2: say this, and this gets back to the conversation about like, you know, watching the return after it's complete and what that experience is going to be like. But, um, as painful it as it was. And as much as we made jokes about it and bemoaned it, the tension built by, referring to audrey and not showing audrey for so long as the episodes were parceled out week after week after week was in its own strange way like the absence was felt and was effective um and then of course the continued delayed you know gratification of getting any answers as to what's up with her continues to i think get under viewers skin like our skin certainly i think we're, we're trying to figure this out but i'm still at a loss um I, can, right. I I I still felt frustrated at another you know one or two points during this sequence because I was like just get out the door but you know that's that's not what it's gonna be
0: or open up the door and fall out into the purple sea <laughs> on the planet where the firemen and, and just uh, something Signorina you know
2: yeah um, should we talk about the good boy that Ashley and I hold so dear who's not actually a part of this episode. I was going to
1: say, did I miss him? Is
2: he in it? I'm talking about LP of Run the Jewels, producer of (gasps) Axolotl by the Veils, the Roadhouse band. I was
1: so happy. I was watching the credits because I was waiting for some kind of valuable information to pop up in the credits as you do. And also because I thought that the Veils song was catchy and I thought it might have been the Black Keys for some reason. Definitely wasn't. And I saw his name and I, it was, it was delightful.
2: Yeah. So big, big run the jewels fans here. Um, LP, if you're listening, please come on the show. We'll make whatever co- accommodations we need to, to get you on, <laughs> talk about your experience producing for the veils and being a twin peaks fan, having, you know, uh, used a clip from Firewalk with me as a lead into one of your solo tracks. We want to hear about it all. Um, there's just something about the word modeling and the way that the guy says it, like makes my skin crawl. Um, but used really effectively along with David busting out the strobe lights for the veils. Um, who, look, who I will say look great under the strobes with right. Charlene Yi in yes. a totally wordless role as the focal point of this week's roadhouse closer Ruby. Yeah. Uh, Ruby, which, also weirdly the name of the character she plays on steven universe uh probably not intentional um then just crawling across the floor and that blood-curdling screen cut with the the shots of the veils this might be my favorite of the roadhouse closing scenes so far because it's the one that just had me going like what the hell is happening
0: (laughs) you know what i connect with and i have it on my screen right now Her crawling is just like Dale crawling across before he reaches Mm. into the electric socket. And then her screen is like like? Janie E.
1: Okay, but you know what the crawling is also like? It's like Bob crawling over the couch.
0: Bob crawling over the couch and Sarah crawling down the stairs and through the the living room. Just
2: so much crawling that we
0: can connect this to.
1: Something very primal is happening.
0: Um, And then we didn't talk about in the... um, Philip Jeffries scene when it showed the jumping man that if you look closely onto the jumping man's face with that that mask mask with Sarah Palmer. Yeah, we touched on it, but yeah. we just okay. said that we saw okay. it and well,
2: I guess to, to revisit that briefly, we'll, we'll just say this quickly. Do we think that that is indicating a connection with Sarah and whatever is behind Sarah's face? sarah's human mask yeah. let's say okay
1: yeah i feel like maybe sarah is a resident of the room above the convenience store
2: mm. so she just goes home to watch nature documentaries and wrestling or boxing sorry SummerSlams on the mind um and drink bloody mary's but she really lives above the convenience store now
1: yeah i think in the sense that she's almost no longer human
0: mm. Mm. i think she's been so close for so long that now she's been taken over
2: and anything else we want to say about the roadhouse before we move on to the most heartbreaking sequence I think maybe in the show ever yeah. in all the series yeah, yeah there's been nothing like this but any anything else before then
1: I I no I just want to say I think that the roadhouse scenes are picking up a lot of steam as someone who did not mind the roadhouse scenes at any point but I do think that using them at the close of every episode made every episode feel like a distinct day cuz it seemed mm. like people were ending their nights at the roadhouse but it, I think instead it has been like one continuous roadhouse music festival which I wasn't getting and it's- now
0: we can't we can't trust that one day thing
2: yeah uh, I mean we, we did see the two Rwar Simone performances with the same outfits which yeah. could suggest I mean you know, I don't I don't I don't mean it's
1: literally all one day but certainly there's been some double stacked lineups yeah, in there. that it's
2: been more compressed. Um I really want to know if uh, <laughs> well th- this wouldn't make any sense but um like i really want to know if they play the roadhouse playlist before each act and if like maybe the lead-in to nine inch nails in part eight was just you know an mp3 of zz top and the uh, and jr star the announcer dancing on stage <laughs> that'd be great or james i really hope it james is james
0: came out on, on stage right before they had Nine, <laughs> before inch nails. nine inch nails. yeah yeah right why not
2: okay so, so let's talk about um a very emotional call uh i mean I, every time the log lady has appeared thus far in the return it's been emotional but this is i mean this is the one scene um the call between hawk and the log lady and uh Catherine Coulson's colson's presumably final work on twin peaks um i was crying openly in the bar while this scene played out um it, uh, I, I mean, I didn't we've been talking all season long about like, are they going to do, you know, a funeral for uh, Sheriff Truman? They keep talking about him, you know, being in poor health. Uh, and I think we got more Catherine than some of us expected after the first few parts. We thought that maybe that would be it. Um, uh, but this is it takes its time to explicitly, you know, Call out both the the passing of the log lady and make damn sure you know from the cast and everything that this is their their send off for Catherine Coulson. And it was um, I found it very touching and and appropriate, not you know manipulative or anything.
0: I ugly cried during the the sequence. I could not keep myself together because every time I've seen her in the last. Every, every time after, the, like you said, after the first two times, I thought this was a gift. We're seeing a little bit more. But I also thought the show would kind of step away from addressing her illness and her death and not even do that because it could seem exploitative to incorporate someone dying into their character. But then the way they treated it in this part absolutely connected with me in a real visceral way my mom died of cancer and seeing Katherine Coulson and seeing the reality of her talking about how she knew she was dying and all the feels was were just overwhelming and very truthful and beautiful and they could just set aside any of the lore any of the My log has something to tell you. And this was just something we're so invested in these characters at this point that this moment between her and Hawk was everything to make this show real and connect with you on a human level.
1: I mean, I feel a little ashamed because I didn't cry because I'm apparently a soulless monster. Um, No, it's okay. Apparently. I mean, I did. I thought the scene was beautiful and I thought it reckoned with death in this way that, Allowed for all of the complexity of mortality, the inevitability, the acceptance, and the fear. Um, I thought it was really beautiful. I thought Catherine Coulson did an amazing job. I thought that um, Hawk did an amazing job just listening and being there for um, you know Margaret in a really difficult moment for sure.
2: The the cut to the scene afterwards in the in the conference room with oh god truman and bobby and andy and lucy receiving the news like we we talk about bits that seem out of order or are missing and questions we have about you know how information is relayed like how do they know to arrest chad off the top of my head right um and like like for 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 these pieces that we don't have you know the scene where this news is broken wouldn't be necessary, but it's absolutely necessary to the show. Not just in yeah. terms of the log lady's importance or Catherine's importance to this show, but like, as we know, Catherine uh was a regular attendee of Twin Peaks Fest. She was a longtime collaborator with David. Um like you could not have had someone with this show who I think under these circumstances where it wouldn't resonate more, like the log lady is a character who, when you're introduced to the show, if you know nothing about twin peaks, you take as a, as, you know, maybe a throwaway joke or a quirky aside who Mm -hmm. grows to be not just important to the story, but important to the, like, moral emotional underpinning of the whole thing the the log lady is in many ways one of the closest characters to the core of what the show is you know aside from cooper and laura so to to have that loss and to have it be treated so respectfully i think was really important to important i think to the return as least as we've seen it thus far being a a valid and worthwhile extension of what the show was in the past um, to address that head on.
0: It's it's important to have it actually play out in the story of this, of the return. I think that this is crucial. I think that it also plays into what Margaret told Hawk about how the electricity and things are dying. And I think unfortunately that her passing, as a soul that's part of Twin Peaks in the community is connected to that. And I th- hope that there's some way that there's some redemption or turnaround to help restore balance in what's being lost in Twin Peaks, and nothing's more painful in loss of what Twin Peaks and its humanity represents than Margaret Lanterman passing away.
2: Yeah, and the only the only credits um in memory uh, you know, dedicated to a fictional character that we've seen thus far. Um, we already had Catherine mm-hmm. early on, and now it's uh, in memory of Margaret Lanterman. So uh, by my estimation, a fitting send off. And again, just very emotional. Um, I don't think I have anything more to say about.
1: That. I I just also thought that this scene, um, I it feels inappropriate to say paralleled or mirrored or bookended, but there are two confirmed deaths in the scene probably a third or in this episode probably a third um but you know it's striking that uh, you know margaret is talking about change and transformation and how death isn't the end it's just this transitional phase um and she's so unafraid and at the same time we see her kind of peace um uh, contrasted with um, Stephen's torment, his mm. very his very um, his very earthly torment is what I put in the notes. Again, maybe that sense of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, making yourself kind of a godlike figure versus kind of Margaret's. I don't want to say harmony with nature, but. Harmony with nature, her being at peace with a natural process um, and her ability to channel the supernatural and or natural world through her log.
0: Yeah, it's it's her communing with nature and with the really, honestly, the life in Twin Peaks, I think, you know, and she's like, no, she's moving forward to another phase of that natural progression.
1: Mm hmm.
2: And we see the lights go out in the cabin and that's, that's it. And
0: I lost my shit at that part. (laughs) I'm just saying, yeah, that just absolutely destroyed me. But I, I'm glad they dealt with this in the show and didn't just say it offhandedly. And this also gives me hope that in, within the next couple of hours, they're not going to say, oh, by the way, Harry died, you know?
2: Yeah, that would be, that would be rough on top of it. Um, right so, so Scott since we're, we're drawing to a close Here and since you teased it about 30 Minutes ago please Tell Ashley and I What your theory for the end Of the return is
0: I can't say The cons- the uh, Pieces that will move into Place or what's going to facilitate it But there's going To be some sort of reset And what's strange about This part of the show is that we saw something that we've all wanted for many years. Well, maybe not you, Matt, because you're a Drake Brenner corner lover. But we saw <laughs> we saw Ed and Norma get together, which that would be something I would anticipate we would have seen happen at the end of the show, since they didn't come back to the show with them as a couple and being happy for all these years. So something is going to happen, something is going to reset. Something and it could it has to do with Laura in whatever form she's in coming back. It's maybe going to be Sarah being freed of whatever is controlling her. She's a part of her. She'll separate from whatever we've seen in the past. But I think we're going to see. And this is I I would bet money on this. I don't have a lot of money, but I would bet we're going to see Laura Palmer alive and I'm she's going to be with Sarah Palmer Alive and happy and I think Leland Is going to be alive and happy And that somehow Mm. things will Change and what I think The ultimate sacrifice To all this is I don't think We've seen it this week but I think That Dale Cooper is going to die For this to happen
2: So a complete a complete wiping Of the slate clean every everything Dating back to the beginning In
0: some way I don't think it's going to Be a lost redux but I think there's going to be some sort of a reset in some way and there's going to be some things that carry through, but other horrible traumatic things won't have happened. And that's just, that's just what I, right now, that's what I, I I think is going to happen, but I won't be crushed one way or the other. If that happens or doesn't happen, that's just what I think.
2: So you think this is where this is heading, but I I want to ask Scott, do you think that with the way you're picturing it and I know is incomplete and you're not necessarily lobbying for this but do you think along those lines there's a path that can be walked to make that feel that sort of reset feel meaningful and worthwhile does it does it necessitate then that kind of sacrifice of a figure like Cooper in order to justify sort of resetting the, the trauma and grief and development that happened throughout the show
0: yeah I think it's going to be A reconnection Or a merging Of Cooper going back with his good Half and his bad half Mm. And something Of that nature is going to create a ripple Effect that's going to And maybe it will free Audrey maybe Audrey will be Out of where she is
2: fair i i i i'm glad that you shouted out lost because mm-hmm. again we got to talk about it as much as possible on this show i know and um, you
0: know i i know you don't guys you guys don't like lost. I, lost I love lost i love the way it ended but i know oh. i'm in the
2: minority <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about
0: i like lost and i like oh, the way okay.
2: it ended um, okay well
0: good for you okay good 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 <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh I, I think probably if i actually sat through the whole show again now i might realize i had some rose tinted <laughs> glasses on but um i like well, the ending of lost um yeah but i would similarly hope that they wouldn't do a kind of parallel reality thing for twin peaks i kind of i i guess i'm hoping for some kind of resolution that if it doesn't, you know, tie up everything or provide a a strong grounded emotional ending at the end of all this, I want the journey that we've taken on the return to feel like it has a real, you know I I kinda want them to put a fine point on it. Like I kinda wanna, like, as I see the last scene go, like I get what they're going for, whether or not I think it's a success. Like I want whatever happens in the last two hours to build towards something where it's just like, you know, some of these loose dangling threads we have kind of snap into place, um, in this, I want it, I want in it this to be 18 over. hour movie. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want them to end it.
2: Well, we know we're going to get Mark's book in October, so right. we're not going to end everything. I have a feeling, but Maybe that'll just be Mark writing a whole other book to account for the fact that he did some continuity flubs in The Secret History.
1: (laughs) I am really interested in this idea of a reset, but I think if there was a reset, it would have to go back to the beginning of the industrial era.
2: We'd have to go way I think way that's back. Yeah, I think. Wow. Yeah. At the very least, we have to go all the way back to Pearl Lakes and Leland's encounter with Bob. Like we have to like yeah. to to get some kind of happy ending for that character. We got to go far back, and I think you're spot on. We have to go back further mm-hmm. now that we've invoked the Trinity tests and and as you've pointed out, Ashley, like the Lodge goes back much further still
0: um, to Elise Lewis and Clark.
1: But I think I think, again, like when we're talking about the lodges, those seem to be natural forces. And I think there is something about the industrial era that has facilitated Bob and given power to Bob. But we'll see if that ends up playing out at all. I just also was going to say, I think that. The reason that the um, Ed Norma storyline might have been kind of pushed into this position um, is specifically so Shelly can witness their reunion and that then informs the Bobby Shelly reunion. Ooh, That is
2: a good point. Holy
1: shit they made a big point of showing that Shelly witnesses that and then I all, I don't like that this is probably going to happen after their daughter was murdered in that's a running, domestic yeah. violence incident yeah. um, but that's that's why I think that happened the way it did.
2: Interesting and yeah. now you got me excited, excited I mean with those caveats about a Shelly-Bobby reunion all over again <laughs> it had slipped my mind I was still reeling from the Ed and Norma union
0: Ugh. Maybe um, Helga Helga can be the main of main of honor at their wedding. You mean Heidi or Heidi? Sorry, who's Helga? I, I uh,
2: Helga, Helga is the other character played by Molly Shannon in the original oh, okay. series of Twin Peaks. <laughs> this has been a good episode, and I'm glad we. I mean, Scott. I hope you get what you're.
0: you're... You know what? I don't want anything out of this no. except for to to end the way it's supposed to end and the only two people that can determine that is david lynch and mark frost and i will find a way to embrace it
2: unless they just really drop the ball i think i think we're allowed to be mad if it feels like an exercise and futility at the end of it all
0: it's it's not gonna it's not gonna suck it's not we've gone this far there's been highs and lows i've told you about my lows with it i absolutely have faith that we are going to at some point either immediately or later love the way this ends
2: all right well i'm glad we were able to get you on for one last go around with televised twin peaks i'm really myself not holding out hope for any more so scott you've been with us uh since close to the start of the show and i want to thank you for joining us yet again for the return uh about well Almost two years on end. Yeah,
0: two years. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. I really love our back and forth. I love you guys' insight and, you know, you guys being relatively new in the grand scheme of things to being in the Twin Peaks versus me, who's been there since the beginning. I love, I told you the first time I was on your show, how much I love the fact that Twin Peaks is being embraced and discovered by young people. And that gives me hope that I that this show is going to go on forever. When you guys are old, you're going to hear about young people that are discovering it for the first time and how awesome that is for them. And you maybe want to have a conversation with them and talk about what their feels are during the And I think that's the greatest thing that David Lynch and Mark Frost can do is to create something that's going to go on and challenge people and get your minds turning, you get your wheels turning and you're really just going to engage in this material and be rewarded. When
2: Ashley and I are old, old folks on a climate change ravaged world yes. that is having its fifth <laughs> reboot of Lost unleashed upon it with uh, the great, great, So that's grandson. like 15 years from now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I'll
0: be alive maybe still at that point. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, when that happens and people are like, wow, this show is so weird and edgy. We'll be like, nah, Twin Peaks. That was a real shit.
0: Right. So yeah. So thank you guys again. And I would love if you guys do a wrap up episode, I don't need to be a guest on the whole show, but I would love to like maybe record something and send it to you and give you my two cents worth for when the show is over. So I (laughs) think that would be really good. I think when you guys do a wrap up, you should have segments from all the people that have contributed and participated with you guys to everyone have a say you know, that's that's the, a really neat idea yeah actually yeah. i've
2: been thinking about this do you do you have faith in us you and me because right now the plan is that we're gonna do the finale episode no guests but like right after watching those two hours ashley do you have any faith that we're gonna be able to cover it in just like one episode or do you think we'll need some time to percolate
1: no. and
0: double back take, take your time you can no. take your time we
1: I feel like we're not going to be able to. I feel like we're going to react to the finale. I feel like that's its thing, but I think that digesting the series as a whole is another matter entirely. That's going to take a lot more space At than we're going to be able to have in that first. You give yourself yeah, time. exactly.
2: Well, whatever we end up doing, we'll also probably do an episode about Mark Frost's next book. I, I bring that up only because I do want to bring up the fact that. As I mentioned in our Secret History of Twin Peaks episode, when I talked to Mark Frost at the book signing here in New York, I asked him, Are we going to see more Gersten Hayward? And turns out Mark Frost was in a scene with Gersten Hayward. Mm-hmm
1: very true and i
2: pointed this out on twitter today and he did yeah. give me one of those likes so thank you mark yeah
0: um yeah, and he, thank you he scott lied, he liked me the other night I, I posted that i was so happy to see him back at Cyril ponds and he liked that as well so that gave me a little feather feather my cap
2: mark if you're listening i wish you would stop retweeting eric garland that's all i gotta say um <laughs> this has been pinkeeps <laughs> peaks, peaks scott wow. would you like to start out with your with your plugs
0: my plugs. Um, I am on a podcast with my best friend, Kevin, who we've been best friends since the eighties, <laughs> and it's called I'm So Sure. And it is about music, mostly music, mostly just two friends giving each other a lot of shit. And we are on iTunes, we're on Potomatic, and you can um, tweet on Twitter at I'mSoSurePodcast.com i am matthew olson
2: you can find me on twitter it's at matthew olson please spell it right um I do some other shows and you can find information about those on Twitter as well. I'm going to try to keep it short. You can find this show twin peaks peaks. It's on Twitter. It's at twin peaks peaks. You can find it on iTunes where you can leave a rating and a review. You can find our website. It's twin Simplecast. FM. You can find us on Facebook. I'm trying to remember to post alerts when we put new episodes up on that. Um, and i do want to shout out of course cole hamilton for doing our wonderful podcast cover art you can find cole on twitter he is at c far enough and you can find his work on his personal website it's Colehamilton.com. that's c-o-l-l-h-a-m-i-l-t-o-n.com thank you cole ashley hit us with those plugs
1: You can find me on Twitter at Ashley Brandt, where I'm tweeting about why TV isn't feminist and we need to stop trying to make it feminist. Uh, You can also find me on another podcast called The K-Hole, a Kardashian podcast, where I get some guests and we talk about the Kardashians. I had a Kylie Jenner expert on for The Life of Kylie, and we had a really fun conversation about that quote-unquote docu-series. Spoiler alert, it's very sad so um if you're intrigued by the kardashians give it a shot it's a lot of fun um and that that series is gonna go on forever so
2: no need to petition for a a relaunch of the kardashian franchise Um, it will keep
0: rebooting itself yeah Mm
2: -hmm. uh well i think from from both of us scott thank you again May you have a wonderful time watching the last three hours of this show. And uh, Ashley, I'm I'm curious as to what you're going to close out this week's episode with.
1: This has been Twin Peaks Peaks. My log is turning gold.
0: Wait for the tea. The fish aren't running.